I'm going to read the whole chapter, but I want you to look as I read it. Amen? You're like, no, I just got comfortable. All right. Does everyone have a copy of God's Word? This is where I make a joke where phones don't count, but I don't want to point anyone out this morning. So grab a word, grab a neighbor, if everyone can stand. It says this, in Ephesians 3, this is what we're talking about today. It says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in older generations, and has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me through, I, though I am very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden of for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, everybody say church. The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart. I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Last part. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You can take a seat. What we've been talking about so far is what we receive when we are in Christ. In Christ, in Messiah. Today, what we're going to look at is this. In Christ, we are filled with the fullness of God. Are you filled with the fullness of God? If someone was going to ask you, how do you know if you're filled with the fullness of God, what would you say? How do you measure it? How do you perceive it? How do you know when you're not? How do you know when you are? 
Good news, we're going to look at that this morning. A lot of times when we think filled with fullness, we think of like a cup of water, right? We use that image a lot, and, and water being poured into it so that it fills a cup of water or water bottle. Thank you, Dan. It's filled all the way to the top, all the way to the brim, fullness. And sometimes we have turned this into some maybe charismatic experience where you get filled with the Spirit of God, which is part of it, but not the whole thing. And it's this one-time thing of being filled with the fullness of God. What I want to submit to you today is that it is a process and is something uh, that we can literally identify in ourselves through the Word. So we're not left wondering. But we think of it maybe as a water cup being uh, filled to the top, but it's actually more like this. Come on in, guys. And you guys can stay up here too. See, the image, the image that we get when we read about the fullness is that it's not like a cup that's filled with water, but it's like a warship that's filled with people. When it's talking about fullness, it's talking about the idea of a boat that is filled with soldiers. Come here, Luke. You want to sit right here? That's filled with a captain. You can sit up there. And then with a rower. This is what warships look like, by the way. I'll just use one. We're going to go in a circle. Going backwards, forwards, just like that. And this is the picture of what it means to be filled with the fullness of God. That there's a ship that is completely staffed so that the mission is able to be accomplished. Did you know that the Lord, when he called you into his family, you're not just there hanging out. You're not just like a college kid coming back home for a, a fall break or a summer break, hanging out, having really not a whole lot to do with the family, kind of treating the house like a hotel a little bit. I know there's no one here like that. But it's this picture of when we come into the household of God, we have a mission. And in order to accomplish that mission, we need to be filled, staffed, with the fullness of God. Like a ship. You guys are good. It 
if you can open up to Ephesians chapter 3 again. So the question is, what does it mean to be filled with the fullness of God? Here it is. I'm going to have a slide come up on the screen. I want you to write this down, take a picture, grab hold of this. We, the saints, are filled with the fullness of God when we submit to the Father, are empowered by the Spirit, and house the Son. How do you know if you're filled with the fullness of God? Look at this again. We are filled with the fullness of God when we submit to the Father, are empowered by the Spirit, and house the Son. All throughout the book of Ephesians, we see over and over and over Paul telling the church in Ephesus of how to relate to the Godhead. He, he, he talks about how to relate to the Holy Spirit, how it is uh, through Jesus that we have become one man. And he walks through this over and over and over. And this is a crystal clear picture that we see that he gives us. This is what it means to be filled with the fullness of God. We see this at the end. But the first thing we see Paul talking about is his mission. What he is meant to do. I want to ask you, what is your mission? Do you know it? Young men, what is your mission? What has God placed you on this earth to do? Young women, what has God placed you on this earth to do? Married couples, unmarried, what has God placed you on this earth to do? Because if we don't start with recognizing our mission in life, we're not going to know where we need to go. We're not going to know the necessity of submitting to the Father. We're not going to know the reason why we need to be empowered by the Spirit because we're going to be wandering around. You know, a lot of us, we talk about uh, our mezuzah, our family. I'm not going to fall over. We talk about our family mission statement. My family, our mission statement is to empower others to advance the kingdom of God. Do you have a family mission statement? Something that has been driven through the word of this is what my family does, whether we're at home or we're at a family party or we're ministering to people at the church. This is is what we do. Paul had a mission statement. When we read the first part of uh, chapter 3, really verses 1 through 15, we see he gives a mission statement for his life, and it's this. Making known to everyone that Gentiles are fellow heirs. That's literally his mission statement. My mission is to make sure that everyone knows God's plan of salvation, that now Gentiles are included as heirs, just like a firstborn son. How many people think that is great news? You know, it's crazy because when we read the word, a lot of times uh, after the apostles and after first century, after second century, up until now, we've created so many divisions in the church. Division after division after division after division, denomination after denomination after denomination after denomination. You see two things in the word. You see Jewish believers, Gentile believers, and then Paul's entire mission is to say they are one in Christ. You see two distinctions. There's no more, there are no less, 
It is you are a Jewish believer or you're a Gentile believer. And when you come into the body of Christ, you are one man in Messiah, which we talked about last week. But he was sure as he was sure that Gentiles were included in this. This is the mystery that he was talking about as we were reading the first part of Ephesians chapter 3. He says, I want everyone to know how inclusive the love of Christ is. Did you know that the love of Christ is inclusive? You see, I, I desire to pour it out. I showed it before the world when I was crucified on a cross. He's like, I want people to know, my mission is for people to know that this isn't just for the Jewish people, that it is now open for the Gentiles who want to believe in Jesus Christ. He was sure of his mission. I want to encourage you today. If you don't have that, if you are not sure of, this is my mission here on earth. This is what God has set aside my family to do. Pray into that. Pray into that. Let's look at verse 1. He says, for this reason, what he's talking about is what we spoke about last week, about being one man in Messiah. For this reason, us being one man in Messiah, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Did you know that as Paul was writing this, he was in prison? When we see in, in Acts 28, Acts 27, there's a shipwreck. Acts 28 comes and he's in prison. He actually writes some of these epistles when he's in prison. And, and it talks about in, in the book of Acts, him being a prisoner and being under house arrest. And he had the freedom to move around the house during the day. And he could have a, a little bit of freedom uh, to do what he wanted to. But then at night, to make sure he didn't escape, he was literally chained to a soldier. And what he's doing is he's, he's talking about this to represent the relationship that he has with Christ. That I have freedom in Christ to move about the house, but you don't get one thing mixed up. That I am chained to him. I am chained to Jesus. There's nothing that's going to separate us. I am chained to him. That where I go, he's with me. Where he goes, I am. It doesn't turn off at a certain time. It doesn't change. It's the new reality of what he's walking in. He's like, and it's for your sake that I'm doing this. Did you know at the end of Acts that Paul had a chance to go free? But he chose not to. He chose to stay in imprisonment so he could work up the court system so that he could tell all of these Gentiles about the love of Jesus Christ. He's saying it's for your sake. When we think about our mission, it's not pointed to us. Our mission is for their sake. It's for Christ's sake. I'm not living in order to build myself up any longer. When we were baptized into Christ's death and we were raised in the newness of life, we become a new person and our mission changes. Paul was sure as he was sure about this. Talking about his imprisonment it says this, that during his Roman imprisonment, Paul was under house arrest. In the day, he was free to move around, like I said, but he was under the supervision of soldiers. But every night, he was chained to a soldier to make sure that he didn't escape before his trial. Yet he saw himself as the prisoner of Jesus Christ. He knew that Jesus was the Lord of his life, not the Roman government. So if he was a prisoner, he was really Jesus' prisoner. 
Thank God we are chained to Jesus Christ as a prisoner, especially before the trials come. Do you see the imagery that he's pulling up here? He's talking about suffering in order to encourage someone else in a suffering that they just as well will experience. He talks about on behalf of you Gentiles in verse 1. He's talking about the new covenant that was given them. talks about the revelation of salvation. I want you to look at verse 4. We're going to look at verse 4 to 6 and then we're going to do a couple things. In verse 4, it says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, and it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. We see that in Genesis 12, 3. There's a promise given to Abraham that I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And see, these prophecies went out before that Gentiles were going to come into the inclusion of faith that was given to his called out ones. When we talk about church, a lot of times we think the church started in Acts 2. And what we teach is that it started with Abraham in the very beginning when God called them out. Ecclesia, or church in Greek, means those who are called out. And the promise from the beginning that was when Abraham was called out with his family... So I'm not only going to make this for your family, but all nations are going to be blessed because of you. This is what we talked about a little bit last week. What is the importance of knowing that what we have as Gentile believers has been built on what was given to Israel? Look at verse 5 and 6. Verse 6. He says, this mystery, he's talking about his mission is that Gentiles are fellow heirs. Just like a firstborn. They are fellow heirs. That what we receive, the Jews receive, the Gentiles receive. See, what has come into the church is a teaching called replacement theology. Super secessionism. What that literally means is that there's a belief that the church or the Gentiles have superseded what God first claimed to do with Israel. We do not believe that. We do not believe the scriptures teach that. We will go, we can continue to go into further depth about that. It's, it's tied up to if, if, if God's character and if his word isn't trustworthy for the Jewish people, then it's not trustworthy for us. He hasn't changed. Did you know? Did you know Islam also believes in replacement theology? Did you know that part of their doctrine, they think that, yes, what was spoken to Abraham was true, and what was spoken about Jesus and the other prophets were true, but the ultimate truth that superseded the rest is the truth of Muhammad. They believe in replacement theology. But it's this idea that the church or Gentiles has replaced God's promises to Israel. See, that's why Paul says they are fellow heirs. There hasn't been a replacement. 
That's why we are one man together. And see how this trickles out, I want to ask you just to take inventory really quick. If there's only Gentile believers and Jewish believers, and that's the only distinction we see, if you are a Gentile, when's the last time you've gone out intentionally to reach the Jewish people? If you're here today in your Messianic Jewish, how do you do going out intentionally trying to reach the Gentile people? Because that's how God has made us work together. See, in the second and third century, that's when this teaching came about, replacement theology. It led to more persecution. It led to anti-Semitism. It led to people saying, no, now the Jews are cursed for all of eternity. These are the writings that Martin, Martin Luther came up with that the Nazis used as their uh, justification for the way that they treated the Jewish people. This is how it spins out of control. And that when we're actually made to call out both Jews and Gentiles to each other, that is not accomplished. That's why we have to understand the importance of seeing what we have as Gentile believers has been built on what was first given to Israel, Romans 1.16. That's why Paul goes back to say, we are fellow heirs. He's talking once again about his mission. We are filled with the fullness of God when we submit to the mission that he has placed on our life. I think really this can come about in a couple ways. First off, do you submit to the scriptures? I want to ask you that. Do you submit to the scriptures of God? That when the word says X, you do X. That when you're told to love your neighbor as yourself, that you go out and you love your neighbor as yourself. That when you're told to leave your gift at the altar, you leave your gift at the altar and you make things right. We have to be a people that submit to the Father and the word that he's given us. What about submitting to the season you're in? Are you willing to submit to the season that you're in right now? Or are you always looking for the next thing? God, I know you, you have me here, but I can't wait until this. God, I'll really be able to carry out my mission and my calling once I get here. I'll really be able to be a generous person once I have this in my account. I'll really be able to use my influence when I'm positioned here in the future. How are you doing with the season you're in right now? Are you submitting to the Father in the season that he's put you in? Or are you always, when you're trying to like put a shirt on your kid, trying to... I have three boys. That's how they get dressed. They try to wrestle out of their clothes often. Are you submitting to the season you're in? There are a lot of things that can try to deter us. There's suffering. Maybe you're suffering some sort of trial right now. Maybe it's a health trial. Maybe it's a relational trial. It's trying to get you out of the season that God has placed you in. Maybe it's consequences because of your sin. But you're trying to use these con 
consequences instead of learning from them. You're trying to use them as a reason to leave the season God has placed you in. The first step in being filled with the fullness of God is to submit to the Father. This is the picture that Jesus has for us. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures for us real quick. John 5.19 So Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. John 6.38 For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Is this your mindset? That I'm not here today. I didn't wake up this morning to do my will. I didn't wake up this morning to do my checklist to get everything that I need to get done, done. But I woke up so that I could do the will of the Father. Is that your mindset? John 8, 28. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. When you're having conversations with other people, do you say, God, what do you want me to say? What advice do you want me to give them? What scriptures would speak to the situation they are going through right now? Speak through me, Father. I don't want to say any of my own words. John 12, 50, it says, And I know that this commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. This is a consistent theme throughout the life of Christ. Let's look at chapter 3, verse 7. He says, of this gospel, the gospel of being separated from God because of our sin and Jesus making a way for us to have a relationship as one man in Messiah. He says, this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which he has given me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, says his mission again. Verse 10, let's jump down. So that through the church, like, this is the result. I'm submitting to the mission, to the season, to the word that God has given me. Why? What is the reason you're doing this, Paul? So that through the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities, it says, in the heavenly places. You would expect it to say something like, so that through the church, the whole world would know. Which we know some of the scriptures that talk about by our love for one another. And we see these things. But he's making the point that we don't understand the fullness of what God has called us to. Sometimes we can become so busy with the mundane things of life that you can miss how important, how supernatural is the mission God has given you. That's why he says, through the church, through my people being one man in Messiah, not only the world, but the heavens are going to know the mystery of God. Do you take submission to the Father 
in the mission that God has given you that serious. Believing that when you live out the mission, when you get in the boat, when you allow yourself to be filled with the fullness of God, that's going to change things in the heavens. Do you take your call as seriously as God takes your call? Submission to the Father. Are you submitting to the Father? Scriptures, we talked about seasons with sacrifice. I just want to take a pause real quick. We're so thankful. Some of you have given uh, to the building project. I don't know if you wandered back there, uh, but some of the people in here have made a sacrifice uh, to help. We are still on our way to building uh, the children's area. We're about $16,000 away, just to give an update about what's going on. Uh, we have good news. We passed our electrical inspection uh, this week. Yes. Praise God. Passing inspections has been something that has been historically hard for us. But we are doing better and better. So thank you for the sacrifice of, of people in here who have given into the work and financially. Uh, there's still a gap. There's still a gap. Like I said, we're still $16,000 away. So I just want to encourage you, as the Lord leads you in that, to give your tithes, give your offerings. And if you want to give uh, to the building project, uh, we're hoping to have children in the new section next week. Everyone say, God willing. We're hoping to have them in those classrooms. The bathrooms aren't going to be done yet. Those are the last things. Uh, but we are on our way. So be faithful with your tithe in, in your offerings. Give to that as you are led. Uh, but sacrifice. We can't move forward without sacrifice. We are getting to a deeper level as a church. This isn't in my notes. I'm just feeling the freedom to talk right now. We are getting to a deeper level together. Where there are some deeper things that the Lord is going to require of us. We're getting to a place where we have to make decisions based on, am I going to choose to do this on a Saturday, which is fine, good, pleasing to the Lord? Or am I going to have to sacrifice that to help my brothers and sisters in need. The choice is becoming more and more readily available for us to make. It's the choice of, am I going to stay home tonight and spend time with my family, which is good. Everyone say that is good. Or am I going to take my family into someone else's house so we can worship together in a community? Also good. The Lord is putting these heavier decisions in front of us in this season as a church. I want to encourage you to press in and say, God, is there anything that I haven't sacrificed that you're asking me to? Because I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss the blessing and the unity that comes from sacrifice. Is there something the Lord has been speaking to you over and over of, hey, this is good, but this is better. Maybe it's for this season. And you've been trying to push it away. Run to that thing. Run to that thing. Let the Lord use it in your life. Let the Lord work it into you. We are going to continue to grow, not as a few people make huge sacrifices, but as all of us bring what we can. Amen?
That's how we're moving forward in this season. So we talk about sacrificing, submitting to God. How are we filled with the fullness of God? Well, submission to the Father. Here's the next thing. Being empowered by the Spirit. I'm going to read verses 14 through 16. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, submission, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. He's saying our identity whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, when we are in the family of God, we all carry the same name. Amen? That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being. We are filled with the fullness of God when we submit to the Father and are empowered by the Spirit. Do you see what it says? that according to the riches of his glory. Have any of you ever had that friend or those people in your life that have been rich and they like to show that? And so maybe they'll open it up to you where they'll wear their nice watch or something and they'll kind of, you know, you'll ask them the time and they'll like make one of these motions and then tell you the time. You know what I'm saying? Or they always want you to know about their next big purchase or something. That's how we demonstrate wealth in a worldly way. What Christ is saying, or what Paul is saying about Christ, is that we are his display of glory, of greatness. In the same way that someone would want you to see their new car and invite you out or, or show off something, did you know that God actually desires to show us off to reveal his greatness? He's like, I want to empower you with my spirit so that you can literally be this vessel of my greatness in all the earth. It goes back to, do you take this call seriously that he has given you? Being empowered by the Spirit. I tell you what, this is a message that we preach. This is a message that I hope to preach every single day of my life before I die. Being empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. We talk about it over and over and over. We go to scripture after scripture after scripture of God's people receiving the Spirit. Being sealed, marked, identified at that point in time. And then another experience of being filled by the Holy Spirit. We see that throughout all the book of Acts. We see principles of this from John 20, 22, when Jesus breathes his spirit on them. Then they receive the spirit once again in Acts 2. And people are what we call are baptized with the Holy Spirit. Maybe if you're trying to evaluate your life right now and you're saying, am I filled with the fullness of God? It's submitting to the Father and being empowered with the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus tells his disciples in the book of Acts. Let's turn there real quick. Acts chapter 1. I want us to start in verse 5. Or verse 4. So Jesus is making his appearance. And it says, While 
staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Look at verse 8. Why do we do this, Jesus? That might be the question they ask. Why? He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Well, in John 20, 22, we see the Holy Spirit has already come upon them in a way. He says, yes, there is something more. We see this principle played out over and over and over. We see it in John, uh, excuse me, in Acts uh, 8, 14 through 17, and Acts 9, 16 through 19, Acts 10, 44 through 48, Acts 19, 1 through 7. This idea of people who believed in Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered. So Jesus, at the beginning of Acts, he makes this claim. We also see it in the book of Luke where he appears uh, to many people. And he says, you need to wait here. Don't go anywhere until you receive the power that comes from on high, the Holy Spirit. How many people were in the upper room? Do you know? Well, let's look. Verse 15. It says, the company of persons was all in about 120. Acts 1, verse 15. I want you to do this real quick. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. Let's look at verse 5. It says, And that he, Jesus, appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. That he appeared to more than 500, but there were only 120 in the upper room. And this call went out to everybody. He appeared to 500. Now, I'm not the greatest at math. But 500 minus 120 is 380. Fair enough? Anyone disagree? Math? Basic math? Okay. What happened to the 380? They were busy. As Jesus appeared to more than 500 people at one time, he makes a call we see in Acts chapter 1 of wait here in Jerusalem. What happened to the 380? Maybe they felt like, listen, I already, I already know the Lord. I have all I need. He said, no, wait until you have power. I have all I need. Maybe some of them really didn't understand they didn't understand what it meant to believe in God and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe they were just so busy with their lives they didn't have time or want to make time and sacrifice what was back at home to follow the instructions of Jesus. So I want to ask you today, when it comes to being filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit, are you one of the 120? who waited, who you've been filled with the Spirit of God, or are you one of the 380? It says, I see this in the Word. I know it is in instruction. 
but I haven't been a part of it. Maybe you haven't known, maybe it hasn't come up. Well, it's coming up right here today. This is what we call being baptized with the Holy Spirit, being empowered by God's Spirit. Are you one of the 120? One of the 120 who went out to change the world forever? Or were you part of the 380? Paul refers to his brothers, but we don't see the same impact. I'm telling you, if you have a mission on your life, it's not only just submitting to the Father through the scriptures, through the seasons. It's being empowered by the Holy Spirit. How do you know if you're filled with the fullness of God? You submit to the Father. You become empowered by the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 11, it talks about the neighbor at night who comes knocking on the door shamelessly. He says, I need it. I need something. I need something. Is that your heart condition today if you haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit? I need to be empowered. I want to live with the fullness of God in me. I want to live this way so I can accomplish the mission. Do you feel like you're stuck right now? Like you're in a rowboat with one oar just going in circles? Be filled with the fullness of God. We see this principle. We see Jesus follow this over and over and over. In Luke 3, 21 through 22, it says, When all the people were baptized, Jesus was baptized too, and he was praying, heaven and Heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Right after that, in Luke chapter 4, this is what happens. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. You know, a lot of times we see this passage and we think, man, Jesus must have been weak and tired and it says he was hungry here. But I guarantee you, he's probably the spiritually strongest he's ever been. Fasting for 40 days. Intimacy with the Father for 40 days. And what does the Spirit do? He leads him right into the enemy's camp. Right into the enemy's camp. Why? How was that able to happen? How was he able to withstand the enemy and go right into his camp? The answer was he was empowered and led by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 11 says, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. The same Spirit that led Jesus into the enemy's camp gave him the strength to withstand, even though when he was physically hungry, the same spirit that raised him from the dead desires to dwell in you. Desires to empower you to live out the word of God in the same way we see Jesus do. Have you been empowered by the Holy Spirit? Here's the last thing. Housing the Son. How do you know when you're filled with the fullness of God? You submit to the Father, you're empowered by the Spirit, and you house the Son. What I literally mean is I invite Jesus into every area of my life. In Ephesians 2.19, there's this picture of a household. It talks about us coming into faith. It's a picture of a house. 
The first step we see is letting Jesus in. Have you made that step of letting Jesus into your life? You know, sometimes when we have company over, we, uh, we try to clean things up. Sometimes when we have company over, uh, we shut doors that we don't want them to go into because of a mess that may or may not be existing behind that door. Come on, is anyone with me on that? You know, that's how you find like a bowl of cereal in the closet. Like, how did, oh yeah, because company came over and I had to stash it real quick. I, I would hate for them to think that I eat cereal and don't immediately wash the bowl. Nothing would be worse than my company to think that about me. And so we do these things. And the problem is sometimes we do this with our relationship with Christ. We invite him in. We show him our grand living room. We're having fellowship. It's great. And then all of a sudden some things start happening in us. And he starts desiring to wander around the house. He wants to see the house in its entirety. He wants to strengthen where we're weak. He wants to get rid of what we've kept hiding. And sometimes what will happen is he'll start going into rooms and checking different doors of our heart. And we're like, Jesus, no, don't go there. That is a mess. And he'll say, I can, if you just let me into that place, I'm, I'm going to help you sort through this. I'm going to help you clear out what needs to be cleared out. See, when you remodel a house, you don't just take everything out of the house. You don't just destroy all the old cabinets and cut apart the countertops. You bring new things in. Just saying, let me into that one area so that I can do a work in you. Don't try to hide that one thing from me anymore. We'll do this with past pain. With the Lord's like, I want you to deal with your past and the hurt that you've experienced in this. I'm going to walk through it with you as though I'm chained to you. You're like, no, I don't want you to see what's involved in that pain. Because yes, something happened to me, but I also had a part. And I don't want that to be exposed because of what it's. Do you let Christ into every room in your house? Is he free? Is he not only free, but is he invited? Is there something that you've been hiding? Is there something that you've been closing up? Is there something that you've been trying to stash in the closet? And maybe you'll get to it at a later point in time. But does Jesus have the invitation to search your house completely? Being filled with the fullness of God. Housing the Son. This is what Ephesians says about it. Look at verse 17. It says, so that Christ may dwell. When it says dwell, this is literally to be housed permanently. This isn't like renting a, a home. This, is, this is, is, is a permanent residence. In your hearts through faith. How does it happen? How do I invite Christ to live in my house? Well, it's through faith. It's through believing that you are, have sinned against God, that you have separation with God, but that Jesus in his love came to earth and that if you confess your sins and you repent, that he will receive you 
into his family. It's through faith that you being rooted and grounded, he's using this building metaphor one more time, the foundation, verse 17, in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and death, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. He's literally saying, you will better be able to count, comprehend, meaning own and move in power in the love that you're established in. That the foundation of your life when you're in Christ is love. That you're going to be able to know and understand that foundation like nobody else. And he says these four words. He says the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. And it's literally this picture I want you to imagine being in a boat and that there's water beneath us. We see these words, the breadth, this is the width, right? The extent to, to which the love of Christ is, is, is open. So think of someone with their arms spread out on a boat. We see the length, this is never ending, how far able to reach, the height elevation, how high we're able to be brought up to. And then the depth, how deep it's able to go. And it's literally this picture of us drowning in our sin. And Christ reaching out his arms and gathering his children out of sin, out of the water, and bringing them to safety. It's like, listen, no one is too far from my reach. No one is too wide out of my reach. No one is too deep down in the water for me to reach them and to pull them out. And I'm not lacking in strength. I promise Jesus is able to pull you from that spot into safety. But the only way he can do that is through faith. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you trusted him not only for your salvation, but for what you need today. His love is big enough. His love is wide enough. It's through faith that we get to receive this. Here's the last thing I want to talk about. If you can look at verse. When we start in verse 17 at the end, or verse 19. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Then it says, because when you know this, you're going to know what you're established in, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. It's like once this happens, once you're able to comprehend all these things that I just talked about, submitting to the Father, being empowered by the Spirit, housing the Son, letting Him have the freedom and the invitation to roam wherever He desires to roam with you, then you will be filled with the fullness of God. And I want to bring you back to the illustration that we started with. Remember when I was talking about Acts 27 and 28? Where Paul was just shipwrecked before he goes into prison? Well, there's some verses uh, that tell the story about that. This, this was actually one of the first messages I, I ever preached at the church. Manuel and someone else, can you grab those boxes real quick? And you can just throw them all into the boat. Yeah, just chuck them right in here. Yeah, that was a good chuck. 
Also a good Chuck. And, and the story in Acts 27 and 28 is they're, they're on this boat and it's fully staffed and it's fully manned. But there are all these other things as the storm starts to come that they need to get rid of. We see they, they, they cut off the anchor. They, they cut off what's going to hold them back. They have to cut the lifeboats. They have to do all these things so that their life will be preserved. And see, a lot of times we can talk about being filled with the fullness of God, and we can sit here and say, yes, check. I am submitting to the Father in every way I know. I've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus has full access to my life. But there are actually other things on our ship besides just the manpower it needs to carry the mission forward. Maybe for you, maybe it is a reserve. Like, yes, I have all these other things, but I also have this little bit of reserve. I have a reserve relationally with people. I don't want them to come in to see my life completely. I'm, I'll show them this and this about myself, but I'm not going to let them into that area. Maybe you have a reserve with the Lord. God, I'll, I'll worship you this way and this way and this way, but I'm not going to bear my heart before you. Everyone say extra weight. Extra weight. <laughs> Maybe it's plan B. We talked about this a little, little bit with seasons. Yeah, yeah, no, this is like I'm here now, but guess what? I have this plan B that I really think I'm going to go to soon. Let me tell you all about it. It involves moving here, being with these people, buying this house, making this lifestyle for us, feeling these feelings, and broadcasting it to the world just like this. Plan B. Do you have a constant plan B in your back pocket? Well, if this doesn't work out, if this gets too hard, if they push me too much, if I feel too uncomfortable, I'll just go with plan B. To be filled with the fullness of God... We have to get rid of the extra weight. No more plan Bs. What about fear? You're afraid to move in faith. God, how are you going to provide? How are you going to make a way? Maybe your fear is demonstrated in self-promotion. Your fear of not being significant, so you always feel the need to promote yourself everywhere you go. This is me, this is my brand, this is what I do, this is my life. Please someone receive me, don't reject me. You live in fear. Self-preservation is always on your mind. If I can just get this much of this thing, then I can set up a place for myself. So if anything happens, I'm not gonna have to worry about how I'm gonna provide or how I'm gonna make it because I'm afraid of not having enough. Has to go. Fear has to go. What about discontentment? What about discontentment? You know, I'm not just talking about the season of life. I'm talking about what if you're in a place where you're like, you know, I'm kind of discontent with my spouse right now. You know, I'm just a little discontent with the way they've been acting, the way they've been treating me. Maybe I'll look for something else. You know, I'm really discontent with, with, with how people have been treating me at home group. 
You know, I'm there every week, and only three out of 15 people even acknowledge that I'm there. You know, this can't be. There has to be something better. Maybe you felt that way. But what happens is we let that discontentment drive us to somewhere else where we know we're not supposed to be. Maybe you just feel discontent about everything, how much money you make, the friends that you have, the lifestyle that you have. I want to tell you something that someone told me a long time ago. The grass is always greener where you water it. But my marriage is just so hard. If you only understood my spouse right now, you wouldn't. The grass is greener where you water it. Nowhere else. You need to get discontentment out. Pride. I want to do things my way, in my time, how I want. I built a nice little life for myself. No one's going to come in and try to take that away from me. I am powerful enough. I know enough. I'm smart enough. I have enough skills that I can make it all on my own. This fellowship thing is good for you. I don't need you. Pride, 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 pride. I'm always looking for a competition because I want to show people how much superior I am to them. Pride. I want people to know how great my ministry is. I'm always going to measure things in numerics because I find my identity in what I produce. Pride, 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 pride. Has to go on the count of three. One, two, three. Offense. So offended. Listen, we joke about offense a lot because it softens the blow, right? <laughs> Sometimes offense really hurts. Sometimes it really hurts. Sometimes people do things to offend us and it really, really hurts. Offense says, I have the right to this and you didn't adhere to that. So I'm offended. Stems in pride. Stems from fear. Do you walk around constantly evaluating what and why people have said something to you? Well, did you see the way the person talked to me? That it's usually with the mindset. I, I deserve this. Do you see the way that they didn't ask me to do something? I am so offended. Why wouldn't they ask me to be a part of that? It's offense. What happens when we have offense, we don't wait anymore. We move on to the next thing. See, it grows a root of bitterness and we say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to deal with this. I deserve so much more than this. I want to be treated this way by these people. So you know what, know what about this whole waiting season thing? I'm done. I'm not going to wait it out because I deserve something better. How have you been doing just waiting? Waiting on the Lord. Are you always trying to come up with your own solution? Are you striving? Does it feel like you are always striving and striving and striving that when something breaks, something happens, something's not going right, even inside your own heart, that you think, I can't wait on the Lord for, for him to fix this. I have to do it now. 
So you start to create all these plans. You spend countless hours online trying to research, trying to set aside enough money, trying to force relationships, because the entire time all God is saying, you need to wait. To be filled with the fullness of God. We need to submit to the Father, be empowered by the Spirit, and to house the Son. Housing the Son includes getting out everything that does not belong. Letting Him take those boxes and remove them from our life so He can give us something new. So what I'm going to do right now is I want to invite everyone to stand up. I want to invite the home group leaders. If you're a home group leader, and I'm just going to ask for the home group leaders right now, I want you to come forward. You can just stand right here at the front. So we asked at the beginning, are you filled with the fullness of God? We went through what that looks like, what submission looks like to the Father, what being empowered with the Spirit looks like, what housing the Son looks like. And so I want to ask you for a couple things. If you've realized that you've never given your life to Jesus and say, no, today is the day I want to house Jesus Christ in my heart. Colossians 2, 9 says that Jesus was filled with the fullness, the full deity of God. Maybe today you want to choose to follow Jesus. I want you to come forward Adam's going to lead us in a song. He's just going to play for us just for a little bit. I want you to talk to one of our home group leaders. If you are here and you're like, I've never been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Never been empowered. I've believed I have the seal of the Holy Spirit, but I haven't had the power. What we believe the word teaches is it's manifest through the gifts, speaking in tongues, prophecy. That will happen right here. Maybe you're here and you're like, I have these boxes right now in my boat that are extra weight and I have to get them out. The word says if we confess our sins to one another and we pray for one another that we will be healed. That is the first step. So right now I want to invite people forward for salvation, for being filled with power, for confessing sin, or if you want to be baptized today in water. We have a baptismal set up. So we're just going to play for a few minutes. I want you to come forward right now if the Lord has been speaking to you today about these things. You don't have to be ashamed. Amen.